Hi, I'm Anya Katz, and you're listening to A Millennial's Guide to Saving the World. I started this podcast because I was tired of being stereotyped as lazy, triggered, and entitled. I wanted to give voice to a different kind of millennial and invite us to write a new story. One of a generation willing to challenge the status quo, embrace nuance and paradox, and reject PC culture. This podcast isn't about finding answers. It's about asking the right questions. How can we reinvent ourselves and the narratives we've been expected to inherit? How can we take ownership over the ways we participate in our own suffering? How can we move beyond victimization and into empowerment? How can we fix ourselves to fix the world? It's time for new dreams, new stories, and new futures. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of A Millennial's Guide to Saving the World. It is an absolutely gorgeous Sunday morning in Crestone, Colorado in the high desert. I feel like we went from winter to summer, basically. Actually, we went from like winter to wind to summer, um, which I hear is the norm here. Second spring in this area. And man, when it gets warm, I just basically want to lie outside um, naked all day long. <laughs> in fact, it's really difficult for me to do much of anything else. I've been I've been needing to post this episode for the past few days and just trying to like, can I bring the mic outside? Uh, yeah, might be a little too windy for that, but pretty much it's very difficult to uh, force me to do much of anything aside from being outside right now. Um, which is definitely partially just due to the change of season, but also partially due to my state of mind. Um, yeah, it's been, it's been difficult. It's been difficult to do things. I feel, I feel like I have so many ideas and so many things I want to put out into the world. I just wrote a post about this on Instagram, um, but then I just keep thinking that I'd rather sit at my tea table or go take a walk or um, lie out in the sun naked um, or take a bath for that matter. There's just so many other things that I feel like would align more prominently with sort of the mindset or the life that I'm trying to promote. And so it's difficult. It's difficult to want to share things with you and have this space be something you know, have myself be somewhat of a leader and whatever it is I'm leading. Um, but really like what I'm trying to promote is getting off the internet and relaxing and taking care of ourselves and like communing with nature. So it's difficult, um, to walk that talk when I have this responsibility, which is not to say resent this responsibility because I love it and I'm extremely grateful to be able to do it and to be able to have this growing community of listeners who support me in this effort and who are getting to know each other. Um, definitely a huge blessing, but forever a struggle, the work, the work life balance. Although it's weird. Like I, I also don't even even consider the podcast work a lot of the time. It, it does feel like I've done well, um, in the sense of, you know, not doing anything in my life that doesn't feel authentic. So this podcast, the um, things that I offer through Patreon, whether it's the workshops or playlists or book clubs, like these are all things that I really, really like to do and would be doing in my life anyway. Um, but still, right? Can you blame me? 
that I just want to lie in the sun naked all day? <laughs> Let me know your thoughts. <laughs> um, yeah, one more month here in Crestone before Chris and I head out on the road. Probably going to be gone for quite a while, uh, both in the van, maybe traveling internationally um, under the assumption that we're allowed to do so. It's been so, so nice to be in Crestone since the fall, um, gotten a lot done, was able to teach the lunar circle twice, which was not planned, but something just that just came to me during this time um, and really inspired me to do things like that in the future. So pay, keep a lookout for that. I probably won't be offering any more courses like that until the fall, um, but I do plan to relaunch it then. If you are interested in participating in the lunar circle, it's basically a month long um, course to help you learn astrology. And uh, it was really fun the first two times we did it in the spring and really grateful for everyone that participated in those. There will be a few changes to the lunar circle in the future, um, which I'm still sort of working the kinks out for that. But if you are interested in participating in that and learning astrology from me, um, if you go to anyakotz.com slash lunar circle, you can sign up for the waitlist and you will be the first to know when I relaunch that. I might be teaching it from Europe, though. You never know. We'll see where the world takes me. Um, yeah, really looking, really itching to get out into the van. We will probably be, the route we're taking is probably going from Colorado to LA, probably a little stop in Joshua Tree, up the coast to Northern California, um, maybe a little farther up into Eastern Washington. And then we plan to park ourselves in Idaho, somewhere in the Sawtooth range for a chunk of time. So if you're anywhere on that route, want to meet up, can't make any promises, but would love to meet up with people. Maybe we'll do some meetups again this year. Every time we do meetups at like a restaurant or something, if you guys have attended podcast meetups in the past, I always sort of regret that we haven't just met in a park. So maybe COVID is now the inspiration and the real reason to do that. Like BYOB, bring your own whatever you want <laughs> to a park, to an outdoor space, and we can have a meetup there instead of in a restaurant. Um, so we'll see. Uh, we'll see how that sort of organically unfolds. Um, but if you want to keep an eye out for any meetups that we might be doing, I would say Instagram is the place to do that specifically in my stories. Um, my Instagram handle is at Anya.Cots. Um, yeah, I am planning to actually, after I record this, record a solo episode, uh, sort of reintroducing myself to the audience. It's been God, two and a half years since I launched the podcast. And I can't say I've changed, but I've definitely evolved. And I know that there are so many more people that listen to this podcast now than did when I launched the podcast back in late 2018, which was like, I don't know, seven centuries ago. So yeah, I thought it might be nice to just sort of reintroduce the podcast and give you guys some insight on where I think it's going. As I've mentioned, I've been recording a lot of pretty controversial, politically incorrect podcast episodes recently. Um, and so I figured it might be nice to sort of reestablish who I am and why I'm here and what this project is about, um, really as a way to lead into that, because I know um, maybe for some people it would be a shock that I start you know, talking about all these taboo things. Hopefully not though, because that is the whole reason for this podcast. I can't tell you though how many times I interview someone, especially someone that's interviewed a lot and who I've listened to be interviewed and realize how different 
the interview I do is with them sometimes to the point where I feel kind of badly about it because I'm asking like I don't know maybe more difficult or triggering questions than someone else would um but again just re-establishing why I'm here. That was the whole point. There are 7 billion trillion podcasts out there, even so many more now than there were when I launched this. Um, And in my mind, a lot of them sort of talk about the same things or talk about things in, in similar ways. And I really wanted to create a space that did something different and brought in paradox and brought in nuance and, um, really embraced the trigger and embraced the taboo narrative uh, for those that wanted to participate in that space too. So if you are one of those people and you've been listening for a long time, I really appreciate it. Uh, Please keep telling your friends and sharing episodes. Um, One great way to help the podcast reach more people is to go to iTunes and hit um, rate. There's little stars there hit the stars, leave a review. Um, I don't talk about that much because there's so many other things to talk about, but it really does help the podcast reach more people and show up in search results. Not that I'm anywhere near being um, uh, popular enough to end up on their like top lists, but that's sort of how that happens. Uh, It all depends on the ratings and the reviews. So thank you for that. Thank you for sharing episodes with your friends, um, whether that's via email, on social media, tagging me. I really appreciate all of that. Um, If you would like to support the podcast financially, I plan to never have ads on this podcast. Um, I thought about it a few times, but I just keep landing on like, nope, did that way too much when I had a food blog and it left the project really... I don't know, feeling super inauthentic and forced and not something I want to do this time. Although I I don't know, I hate saying never. So maybe if there's like a super cool person that I know that has a super cool product, maybe, maybe I could be convinced, but I don't think that's going to happen anytime soon. So in order to keep this podcast going, I need to make some money because it is basically my job. Not basically, it is my job. I don't have another job aside from teaching workshops and all of that, but that only happens um, once in a while. So if you have a few extra bucks to spare, a couple of Starbucks coffees worth, or maybe Starbucks lattes or like Frappuccinos <laughs> per month, um, you can sign up on patreon.com slash Anya Kotz. There are three levels, five bucks, 10 bucks, and 25 bucks a month. Um, 10 bucks a month is really the, the sweet spot. It's where you get access to the Discord server and the book club and um, the patron-led workshops. Two of those are coming up um, that I'm really excited about, taught by uh, both former guests of the podcast, um, and they're both astrology related. So Jenny um, Kellogg is going to be teaching a workshop on the nodes, and then Whitney Will, who I just had on, um, is going to be teaching about Saturn in Aquarius, which we kind of mentioned we might do, and it's definitely happening. So formal announcements for those will be posted to Patreon soon. Um, And yeah, I actually have another episode with Jenny coming out. So if you're not familiar with her, um, yeah, two workshops. I have two playlists in the works and many more that are available to patrons. That's available at the $5 level and up. Um, But yeah, you can get all that information at patreon.com slash Anya Kotz. I would say if you're on the fence, um, 
and don't know whether you want to do it, I, I do think one of the most valuable parts of my Patreon is the community space. That is the number one goal for me is to create a community and have you all meet each other. When I went through my very terrible dark night of the soul um, and really transitioned my life, I felt extremely isolated and alone and was desperate for resources and a community that could support me through that. And that's where this podcast came from. I literally (laughs) sat in bed. I remember it was like two weeks in and I was like physically and mentally dying. And I thought, when and if I get out of this, I have to create a resource and a community for other people going through this. And I don't even think what I was going through was clear to me at that time, but I do think some sort of spiritual emergency, dark night of the soul, Saturn return, (laughs) millennial crisis that I know so, so, so many of us, especially you listening, have either gone through or are going through or are preparing to go through. Um, And so that's really what I wanted to do. I wanted to create a space for all of you to feel like you belong. And when you're walking away from old friendships and your old life and your old relationship and your old job and all of these things that feel debilitating to do, you know and you can see vividly that there's a light at the end of the tunnel in the form of like-minded humans um, who are living inspiring lives that you know, we're all doing all of this work to live, right? That's the whole reason we leave our old life is to have this new life. And so I really wanted to create that little island that you could see and feel of people and cool things so that maybe this process was a little bit less difficult for you. Um, So yeah, I'm going to talk way more on the solo episode uh, coming next. So stay tuned for that. Um, But please enjoy this conversation with Lindsay. I think she's such a badass and so inspiring and so cool. And yet another one of those stories that I tend to bring to the podcast of a human that has truly had to deconstruct their entire um, framework for living, the entire, all of the knowledge that they've been taught for how they lived their lives, deconstruct all of that, put themselves into an open source state and start again. I've been drawn to these types of people and this kind of story forever. Um, and only within the past few years did it finally make sense to me because that is the process that I had to go through. And that is the process that we all have to go through, right? Whether we were raised in fundamentalist religion or with an abusive parent or in an abusive, uh, toxic culture as we do. Um, we all have to some, to some degree peel off all of those layers of the onion and start again. And so I'm grateful to bring you many forms and versions and varieties of this story so that you can relate so you, that you can understand that no matter how intense the indoctrination is that you can crawl out of it and you can find a new reality and a new family and a new home. So I really appreciate Lindsay for the huge journey she's been on, what she's been sharing with the world. Um, And yeah, she's just a cool person. And I feel a lot of um, parallels in how we live our lives and uh, what kind of world we hope to see. So um, enjoy this conversation. I am going to play you in with... What am I going to play you in with? I think I might play you in with another Carsey Blanton song. I know I played a Carsey Blanton song on the last episode, but she just released a new album called Love and Rage, which is really fucking good. Highly recommend it. Carsey is a friend and former guest of the podcast. She was on really early. Um, 
And she just put up an album that I think a lot of you will love and relate to uh, about the end of the world. So um, I'm going to play you in today with a song called Party at the End of the World. And uh, I really hope y'all are at my party. Okay, catch you on the other side. Lindsay and I'm very 
excited about this conversation. Um, we have a lot in common, uh, more so than I realized. I uh, just listened to the first episode of your podcast, Holistic Trauma Healing Podcast, um, and it was, like, comically similar, like, even in the time period and, like, just so, so many similarities. So um, I'm really appreciative that you came on the show and that we can have this conversation, and I thought maybe... If you could tell everyone a bit about yourself um, and maybe I would love to hear from you about like the moment in your life a few years ago when sort of everything shifted for you um, and what that process was like. Yeah. Well, hi, Anya. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I don't want to start at like the very, very beginning of my life right. because... <laughs> That would take forever. <laughs> um, but like basically I grew up in a really dysfunctional, um, abusive home. Um, I also grew up in evangelical Christianity. Um, so I was getting a lot of messages um, just about like, you know, uh, sin and and God and pleasing God and coupled with the dysfunctional environment that I grew up in, um, I developed a really, really strong perfectionism, uh, tendency and trauma response. And, um, so then I, I grew up, I got married very early. I had babies very, very early. Um, and my husband was a full-time pastor. So I was a pastor's wife, um, did the whole like Proverbs 31, stay at home and homeschool the children wow. to keep them from being corrupted by the secular world. Um, you know, really limited, like the access that our kids had to various books. Like my kids weren't allowed to read Harry Potter until like six years ago. Um, so like very, very, very conservative, like George W. Bush supporters, like very conservative. And then, um, when my husband was uh, in, in full-time ministry, he was a worship leader, and uh, one day I sat down to fold some laundry, and I turned on Netflix to watch Netflix while I was folding laundry, and the thing that came up was like a documentary called The Bible Tells Me So, and I don't even know if it's still on Netflix, but it was basically like about... Um, gay ministers in like the evangelical, but no, 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 sorry, not evangelical, like Episcopalian. I've um, seen this. I've totally seen this. Oh, you have? This. Okay. <laughs> so I'm like watching and I thought that this documentary was going to be like a documentary that supported my beliefs at the time, which were mm -hmm. that homosexuality was a sin and it was an abomination and all that. I totally thought that that was going to be supported by this documentary and the exact opposite happened. And like, by the time the documentary was over, my jaw was on the floor. And then my husband got home from the church that day. And I was like, you have to watch this with me. And he was like, I don't need to watch that. It's just going to confirm what I already know that being gay is an abomination, you know? <laughs> and he, but he did watch it with me and his jaw was on the floor. And that was like the catalyst that it was like the little, the very first domino and the domino that like tipped over and started the line of dominoes falling down. So, um, over the, the last seven years, that was seven years ago. And over the last seven years, um, we have completely deconstructed Christianity, completely deconverted from that faith. Uh, we have moved from the Southern Bible belt to Northeastern Minnesota. <laughs> um, so some culture shock there, some really different weather and geographical conditions and accents, just mm. a lot of changes. And, um, I think what happened 
was that all of these events, like not only my, my childhood being like dysfunctional and abusive and me sort of always having a tendency towards anxiety and being really hyper aroused and perfectionism and needing to like put out this face that like everything is fine. My life is great. Everything is wonderful. And if it wasn't, it was my fault in some way. And, um, then deconstructing religion at the same time as my partner, except he actually went a little bit faster than I did in his deconstruction. And that was very scary to me. And I think it all just sort of like was like a snowball and it just built up and built up and built up and got bigger and bigger and bigger until 2018 when like I lost my shit. (laughs) And, um, I, I just like was overcome with the worst anxiety you can possibly imagine. Just like by the end of 2018, like I wasn't sleeping more than two or three hours a night. I was waking up in panic attacks. I was pacing the floor, wringing my hands, losing weight really rapidly. Um, I didn't know if my marriage was going to make it or not. I wasn't even sure if I wanted my marriage to make it. Um, It was like all of the identities that I had shed up to that point in my life um, sort of were like, okay, now this is all gone. Who are you? And I didn't know. I didn't know who I was. And, um, in March of 2019, um, I attempted suicide after like six months of really severe insomnia and anxiety. Um, I had lost so much weight. It was like, I felt like I was shriveling up and dying. Mm -hmm. And, um, I, I just like, I didn't want to die, but I couldn't keep living the way that I was living and I didn't see any hope or end in sight. Mm -hmm. And so I attempted to take my own life in March of 2019. And afterwards I checked myself into, um, a mental hospital and I stayed voluntarily for five days. I got put on some medications and, um, I have a background in holistic health and wellness. And so taking medications was like, it was, it definitely was like a last ditch effort. Like that was the last thing I had already tried, like diet changes and supplement protocols and acupuncture and Reiki and chakra balancing and meditation. And I'd already tried everything. And like the only thing that was left for me to try was medication. And I desperately, desperately needed it. And so, um, I knew I was going into the hospital for medication. I knew I wasn't coming out without it. Um, I sure enough, I left on a cocktail of mental health medications. Um, and because of who I am at my core, which is a very holistic person who's focused on living a really vibrant, healthy lifestyle, a preventative lifestyle. Um, I knew that the medications were not forever for me. Um, but I also was going to use them intentionally as a tool to help me while I excavated all of the shit that had led up to me needing them to begin with. Mm -hmm. And so, um, that was like the moment, like checking myself into the hospital was the moment that, um, like I walked through those doors. It was the hardest thing I've ever done. Um, but it was also the bravest thing I've ever done because when I walked through those doors, like you're not like hanging out in a fancy hospital suite. Like they take everything away from you. Like I didn't have, I couldn't wear my own clothes. I wasn't allowed to have my phone. Like I, everything I had to wear, the scrubs they gave me, I wasn't allowed to wear shoes. I was put in these like socks with like grippy things on the bottom. Um, 
And I had a really good experience. Like it sounds like what you would picture in the movies, but actually was a really good experience. I had agency the entire time. Like nothing was done without my consent. I wasn't forced to do anything. It was really, it was really fine and a good experience. Um, but walking in the doors that day and changing out of my street clothes into those scrubs, it was like an, a literal and a metaphorical act of like, I'm taking off like everything that brought me to this point. And I'm like completely surrendering to whatever this process is, not having any idea what the outcome is going to be. And, um, so that was two years ago. And over the last two years, I did exactly what I set out to do. Whenever I got out of the hospital, I, um, worked on a lot of physical health stuff. I actually ended up having to travel to London to have a surgery. And that was a big source of anxiety for me was this problem that I didn't know how I was going to fix, but thankfully now it's fixed. Um, and I've excavated a lot of trauma. I've educated myself about my nervous system and the way that it works and how to calm it down. Um, I've gone off of all psychiatric medications and I can't even remember the last time I had a panic attack. Um, I sleep pretty well most nights and, um, just feel like I am really living my best life. And a big part of that was before I was a food blogger and I know you were a food blogger. So it's so crazy that we have that in common, but I had a really successful website called all the nourishing things. And I made really yummy, nourishing, healthy recipes and did food photography and posted those and built it into a full-time business that I'm really, really proud of. But through all of this, um, especially starting about last year in 2020, Um, I realized that as fun of a ride as that was, that wasn't my purpose anymore. And so I stopped posting to my food blog. I've pretty much been ignoring it for the last year. And I decided to start the Holistic Trauma Healing Podcast instead. Yeah, yeah. So many similarities. Um, I definitely want to talk about, you know... It was interesting for me, like, I, I, w- I want to hear how, sort of how you, how and why you started the food blog and like what was going on in your life that made that become a passion of yours. And then also, you know, how that was in, almost like retroactively informative to you once this thing in 2008 happened. It was fascinating for me. I mean, I had a similar experience, which I'll let you expand upon, but where you know, I I had no idea that all the physical stuff that was going on in my body was as a result of trauma and was a symptom trying to tell me something, trying to get me to change my life in some way or examine something. Um, And it's fascinating because when I actually, when I started that blog, I became a health coach as well um, and went to IIN. And like, there was such a big focus in school about you know, this thing that was called uh, primary food. So not actually the foods you eat, but like your spiritual well-being and you're this and you're that. And then I feel like I just spiraled and had like this food blog where I was making muffins and stuff and had totally lost track of like the reason I'd started it in the first place. And then when I thought back to like why I'd started it, I realized how much of that advice I needed to take myself. Um, But yeah, I mean, and also, you know, it's before we get into that, I just wanted to note like I it's throughout my whole life. I always had this fascination with religion and specifically I wasn't actually raised super religious. I was raised Jewish and I had a a, a bat mitzvah and all that stuff, but I didn't get it. And it didn't I wasn't I didn't feel totally indoctrinated or anything. Um, But I just always had this fashion with uh, fascination with religion and I wanted to like help ex-Mormon kids who were gay. Like, there was this weird sexuality and 
religion thing. My dad's gay, so like that was part of it. But I just always had this interest and then later in life realized that I think the reason I was so drawn to those types of people is because they, like you, had to completely restructure your entire worldview from the ground up. And like later in life, I had to do the same thing. It wasn't necessarily because of religion to start with, but I also had a pretty traumatic childhood. Um, and so my worldview was like constructed in that sense through how I was raised, which was problematic in a lot of ways. <laughs> um, and yeah, I just want to know, like to speak to that degree of isolation and like just debilitation, like the rebirth of myself was almost so much less severe than the fact that like, I didn't know what the world was anymore. Um, and I wonder if that was part of your just total existential crisis. I mean, for sure, in the beginning, like 2014 yeah. through 2016 was definitely like that for me because I was raised in the Texas panhandle, which is like the belt buckle of the Bible belt. Yeah. <laughs> so um, like it is a whole culture that even if people say they don't go to church or they're not religious or whatever, it's the, the conservative Christian fundamentalist values are still so saturated down there that it's almost like you don't even have to be religious to, to still live under this ideology. And, um, you know, growing up in the Texas panhandle, always being involved in youth groups, always going to church. Like I wanted to marry a pastor from the time I was in middle school, Um, and I did, (laughs) and, um, just, just being really involved in that was, um, I didn't have another worldview outside of that, you know, Mm -hmm. like I didn't know, I mean, like I heard about gay people, but I didn't know anyone who was gay. I heard about like alternative lifestyles, but I didn't know anyone who was living an alternative lifestyle. You know, it was just like those centers that I heard about, but I didn't actually know anyone. (laughs) So then whenever we left the church in 2014, um, we moved away. This was before we moved to Minnesota. We moved like eight hours away from the Texas panhandle, but we were still in Texas. So we were still in the Bible belt and we were still in a very conservative like town, Mm -hmm. but we weren't going to church anymore. And we met some people who they weren't living alternative lifestyles, but they weren't living as conservative of a lifestyle that we had lived. And so it was like dipping our toe in the water of like drinking with friends, for example, right. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, <laughs> like it was like dipping our toe in the water of like watching a rated R movie, you right. know, like that was, right. that was something. <laughs> So, but then we moved to Minnesota and Minnesota is not evangelical. It is very far outside of the Bible belt. There are a variety of different lifestyles. There are a variety of sexual orientations and genders. And it was like, you know, a whole new world. (laughs) It was like totally like that. And for the first like year of living here, I, I was just like walking around like with my mouth open, just like, and not in a judgmental way. It was just like. I didn't even know what I didn't know. You know what I mean? Like I was so naive and so sheltered and I didn't even know what I didn't know. And so like now having lived through all of that and like moved out of it, my life is so much richer now that I'm not in this box of conservative fundamentalist Christianity. And like, I feel 
more free than I've ever felt before. And I know it's because I'm around people who live these, this variety of lifestyles. And it's like, fuck yeah, we're all just like free to do what we want to do and be who we want to be. And we don't have to live by somebody else's rules or somebody's interpretation of the Bible or, you know, just my life isn't dominated by the church anymore. Like my time is now my own again. You know, when you're a pastor's wife, your time is never your own. And it's just, it's been a whole new thing for me. So, but it was rough getting here. Like it right. definitely wasn't easy getting here. Did that answer your question? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and I just, cause I feel like a lot of people, even if they're not consciously aware of the avoidance of like doing what needs to be done to have a new life. Like I just, I want to call out like how serious of a fear that is and how terrifying it is to sort of have to, you know, even if you reconcile with your family or your friends or whatever happens, like there's this break that occurs. Um, and I feel like that's, it's unsettling. It's like, because what we need so much at a time like that is community support. And yet we're basically trying to go through it while leaving our community. <laughs> yeah. So the, the three biggest questions that I get from people about what it's like to deconstruct your religion and yeah. leave it and try to rebuild your life after. The three biggest questions I get is one, how did you and your husband make it? Uh, two, what do your families have to say about it? And what is your relationship like with them? Mm -hmm. And three, how did you build community outside of the church? Yeah. And the way that I built community outside of the church was I didn't wait for people to come to me. <laughs> I went out and found people <laughs> because right. the, like the way that you're taught to build community inside the church, when that's the only, like we didn't have friends outside of our church. We didn't have, like, I wasn't part of any kind of organization that was, right. you know, not part of my church or not affiliated with my church in some way. So like, I literally did not know how to go out and make friends that I didn't meet at church or that I didn't have in my life group or something. And so, um, when we moved to Minnesota, I, um, we live in this very, very tiny town in Northeastern Minnesota. And we were at the little co-op store. This is the only store in our town. And we were there one day and on the community bulletin board, there was a sign that said they were having their annual meeting and there was a position on the board that was open. And I'm a foodie and this is a store that sells food. Yeah. And I happened to notice while I was browsing through the store, I mean, I'd lived here for literally three weeks. I happened to notice while I was browsing through the store, they don't have very much organic stuff here. And there's an open position on the board. Hmm. <laughs> and so we went to the annual meeting. My husband actually nominated me for the board position because no one there <laughs> knew me. But no one else was running, so it yeah. wasn't contested. They right. voted me in, and that's how I found my people. That's amazing. <laughs> that's such a good story. I love it. So let's talk about food. I feel like that's a good segue. Um, I'd love to hear what your sort of journey with that was. When did food become something you were focused on and why, and what was that whole process like? Yeah, so um, food became a really big focus for me 10 to 12 years ago, um, my daughter, well, it was 2008, so that's 13 years ago now. Um, my daughter was severely, severely constipated whenever she was a baby. And we tried, like, I didn't know anything about natural medicine or holistic medicine then. So I was, like, always taking her to the pediatrician, trying to figure out how to get my kid to poop. And um, the last time I took her to the pediatrician, she was so constipated, um, and the pediatrician was like, I want to do an x-ray of her stomach to see if she has impacted feces in her colon. 
So my two and a half year old had an x-ray and sure enough, her entire colon was like full of impacted feces and the doctor wanted to put her on a prescription laxative. And I had listened to everything that the pediatrician had said up to that point. I vaccinated my kids when they were supposed to get vaccinated. I had very traditional hospital births. Like I did everything by the conventional American pediatric association book. Right. And I don't have any explanation as to why, but when the pediatrician said she wanted to put my child on a prescription laxative for the first time since becoming a mother, my like mama bear intuition rose up and I was like, no, like her body is meant to go to the bathroom on its own. We're going to figure out how to make that happen. (laughs) And so that started like, uh, we found out about a chiropractor who some friends of ours who had also had a constipated child had taken their child to this chiropractor. So we took our child to this chiropractor and in two adjustments, our daughter pooped for the first time in her life without pain and without her face getting red. And this chiropractor also happened to be like, he wasn't just about cracking and popping backs. He was also like very educational in his practice. And so he had workshops like once a month on a Saturday, he would do a workshop about like healthy food or you know, cleaning up environmental toxins in your life or whatever. And we started to go to these workshops and I just started to learn more and more. And as it unfolded, um, I like, I realized this was, this was like the first example that I have in my life where I questioned authority. So I was still deeply religious at this point. Like I wasn't Mm -hmm. questioning the church or the Bible or God or anything, but I was questioning the like conventional mainstream medicine authority. And we slowly started to change our diets. Um, We ate like pretty standard American diets at that point, lots of processed foods, lots of, you know, snacks and frozen food and canned food and stuff. And we started to change um, our diet slowly. Um, We couldn't do a lot at first because my husband was in Bible school at the time and we were super poor. So I remember the first time I went into Whole Foods, I felt like I was like in this Mecca of, you know, like they're piping something through the vents in there that like you feel healthier when you walk in, I feel like, you know, and it's like you look at the apples lined up in the wooden crates over there and you're like, I have never seen a healthier apple in my entire life. The and lighting, just, that's what it is. Right, it totally <laughs> is. And it's like you just want to buy all the things. Yeah. And so I did want to do that because I was like, okay, now we will be healthy. And then I'm like walking around pushing my cart, seeing how expensive every what everything was. And I was like, oh my gosh, it's never gonna happen because my husband was in school and like we were living below the poverty level yeah. at that point. So <clears throat> years went on and slowly, 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 just I, as we were able to afford more, we started getting into raw milk and we started getting into making our own kombucha and fermenting foods. And then, um, my son had some tummy issues. So we went gluten-free and like we, it was this whole progression mm-hmm. of events of like going down further and further down the healthy food rabbit hole. And, um, I came across a website, pretty like early on that I really loved. And she taught a lot of traditional cooking skills. And so I started learning from this website and then she put out a thing that she was accepting guest bloggers. And I didn't have 
a blog. I mean, I had a blog, but it was like a personal family blog where I like put pictures of my kids that I took with my iPhone on there. And, um, I applied to be a, a guest blogger for this website. I would submit one article a month and get paid like 50 bucks. And I wasn't working at all at the time. So this was like my first time to make money. Um, since getting married really. Mm -hmm. And so I started submitting these articles and then, um, I started writing more for them. And instead of doing one article per month, I was doing three and like, it taught me to research and to develop recipes and to, I mean, I was still taking photos with my phone forever, but, um, you know, food photography didn't come, become really big. I feel like until like 2015 (laughs) and this was like 2012. So, um, anyway, when we moved, when we left the church and we moved to, um, eight hours away before we came to Minnesota, Um, I was just like, you know what? My kids are older. They don't need me as much. I really like this food thing. I really like making recipes and taking pictures of food. Mm -hmm. And I'm really passionate about healthy food. And if I can do this as a guest for somebody's website, I can do this on my own website. And so All the Nourishing Things was born in a closet in East Texas where we lived at the time. And then we moved here and I was able to develop it and grow it even more until like it's still... Last year in 2020, I had almost 2 million page views. Wow. So it was pretty great. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I, but I do feel like I, I don't know that I ever had the awareness that you were saying you had earlier of like the primary foods of like mm-hmm. spiritual nourishment and, and all of that. I don't really believe that I had that because I was so indoctrinated in Christianity. For right. me, it was just like, I enjoy cooking. I'm a really good cook. I learned how to use a, a camera eventually that wasn't my phone. And, and it was something I really enjoyed. And also... I wanted to preach the healthy food gospel because it had been so helpful in my family's life. The problem with that, though, was I come out of this fundamentalist Christianity ideology and like we're susceptible to all kinds of other fundamentalist ideologies, (laughs) right? Uh And so I wasn't like a fundamentalist believer in Jesus anymore, but I was like a fundamentalist believer in Weston A. Price. Yeah. You know, (laughs) I mean, I still kind of am a fundamentalist believer in what's like, I'll admit it. I still believe that nutrient dense foods are the best foods, but, um, there's a lot more like space in my life now where if I eat like chips, I'm not going to freak out, but you know, I did the health coaching thing. I coached a lot of people to restrict and give up gluten and dairy and grains and soy and sugar. And, um, I coached a lot of people into taking, you know, hundreds of dollars worth of supplements and all of that. And now looking back, like, I won't say I have regrets, but I, I know I was doing the best that I could with what I had at the time, but I am so far outside of, I call that toxic wellness culture now where people are always looking for something outside of themselves to fix what's going on. And it was my own dark night of the soul where I had all these physical health issues. I was having a lot of pelvic issues and I was restricting my diet like crazy. I was taking all of these supplements. I was having all of these like tests done. I was getting acupuncture using homeopathics. I was doing all of these things and I wasn't getting better. And then whenever I actually had imaging, that was a diagnosis that something was there and that there was never going to be a diet or a supplement that was going to fix me. It was like a switch flipped in my brain. And I was like, Oh, And it was kind of like the day that I watched the Bible tells me so, where I had this switch flip and it was like, 
if this is wrong, what else am I believing that's wrong? Mm -hmm. And so it was the same thing with me with the like diet culture and wellness culture. I was like, if this isn't fixing everything and I've been believing that it would, like, then what else am I missing? You know? And so, um, you know, I just realized that trauma affects like the body keeps the score and the body holds the energy. That's what trauma is. It's the stored energy of, of a thing that didn't get discharged and, you know, energy doesn't disappear. It just changes forms. And so, um, I believe that a lot of the chronic health issues that people are seeking to heal through diet and bone broth and, um, you know, fermented foods and probiotics and restricting their diets and all of that, like, their intentions are right. You know, like there's nothing wrong with wanting to nourish yourself, but I'm sorry, there's no amount of kale that's going to like help you heal the shit that's like being stored inside your body. That's manifesting as symptoms because your body's trying to get your attention and it's going, Hey, hello, I need help, but I don't need kale. Right. You know? Yeah. (laughs) So. Yeah. And it's, it's complicated too, because you know, if we're, if we're looking at this holistically, like, of course, healthy food and nourishing yourself is imperative and super, super important. Um, but the problem is that we take one way to heal as the problem or the solution. Um, and I'm curious to, to like, I feel like I made myself sick through the wellness culture shit. Like I didn't actually have a problem. I mean, I did. That's not, I also struggled from like constipation and, um, digestive issues my whole life. And so I was kind of curious about this whole paleo thing. And I started it before like anybody knew what it was. And, um, but then I just became totally obsessed with it. And when I started to notice that I was getting sicker, like in my twenties, Um, I started to think, oh, well, I need to make the food stuff be better. I need to cut more things out. I need to, Mm -hmm. and it just became this awful cycle of, I mean, and that was really the journey for me. It was like, wow, look at all the shit I'm avoiding by making this assumption or lying to myself about the fact that like kale or lack thereof is going to solve all my problems. (laughs) Right. Or you're just not taking the right strain of probiotics. Yeah. Or like (laughs) I need, you know, 12 supplements a day, not nine or like the other brand or yeah, exactly. Right. Yep. Totally. Totally. I don't know that it made me sicker, but I like, I, I think that I tried to like make things wrong with my kids that weren't wrong with my kids, Mm. you know, just like, like kids, they're, they're kids. Like they get rashes and they get fevers (laughs) and they like, you know, get stuffy noses and all these things. And it's like, those things would happen. And instead of just being like, they're kids, this is what happens to kids. Like this is how their bodies develop and grow and their immune systems develop. Like they have these things that happen instead of being accepting of that and just like not making a big deal out of it. I would try to be like, Oh my God, what are we intolerant to? What do we need to eliminate from our diet? Like (laughs) do you have heavy metal toxicity? You know, like just, it it was just crazy. And, um, yeah, (laughs) just apologize to my kids for that. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's the molds. It's the limes, (laughs) you know? And like, it's a real thing, but I don't think as many people have limes as they think they do. You know, it's just, I think that what I learned with the toxic wellness culture is that we've made being healthy so much more complicated than it needs to be. And it's like put us in this mindset that we have to micromanage our bodies and we don't have to micromanage our bodies. Like our bodies 
take care of so much for us. And they make all these little micro adjustments on a minute by minute basis with like our temperature and our heart rate and our respiration and our hormones and our neurotransmitters and like all of that it's happening without us having to do anything. And when we like reduce ourselves down to, well, I can fix everything with some supplements and a gluten-free diet, like, sorry, it doesn't work that way. Yeah. Right. (laughs) So was that, was sort of coming to this realization with yourself around the fact that you weren't going to solve these problems with food alone and that food might have been becoming too much of an obsession or like an unhealthy, uh, tendency, Um, is that sort of where you transitioned out of the food blog stuff? Like what was that sort of identity crisis? If there was one of, of like not that not feeling good anymore. Yeah. So definitely it was. Um, so after I checked myself into the hospital in March of 2019 and then I got out and I was on these psychiatric meds, um, I, that's when things really started shifting for me because I realized If natural medicine and herbs and supplements and tinctures and homeopathics and crystals and all that, if that had been what I had needed to heal, then I would have healed. And so it was like, clearly that's not what I needed. And it's okay for me to need these medications for now. And I'm not saying that's going to be forever. Um, but I didn't rush myself to get off medications. Um, but When you've been like, when who you've been in the world is someone that people come to, to ask for health advice. Like when people, people fucking email me about coffee enemas, dude, they are like, (laughs) they're like telling me what comes out of their bodies when they've done a coffee enema. Like that's who I was on the internet. Okay. Like when you're seen as an expert in this and then your own identity in it shifts because maybe it wasn't everything that you thought it was, then it just, I, I don't regret having my food blog. It still pays my bills. Um, cause I have passive income set up on it. I'm not really doing anything with it, but it's like still there and I'm still really grateful for it. Yeah. Um, anything that hasn't aligned with who I am now I've taken off, but like, I'll never regret eating healthy food. Right. But making it into an obsession, making it into like an ideology is definitely something I don't want ever to fall into again. And just like once you, it's kind of, I don't know, it's kind of like the gospel of Jesus. Like once you know, you can't help but share it with other people. Like once I learned what I know now about my nervous system and the way trauma affects us, like it seemed like trying to keep going down the healthy food, diet, supplement, obsession route was like that would have been insanity for me, you know, because I had already been down that route and I had already discovered that if that's what I needed to be well, then I would have been well. And clearly it didn't make me well. doesn't mean that it can't be supportive of me. You know, like I, I still love my body. I'm not going to feed it shit, but like, it doesn't have to be an obsession that I make my income out of. And so, yeah, just switching over into the podcast and talking about trauma, like it was just sort of a natural thing. It was like, For me, I know for a lot of people, it's different, but for me, my passion and my purpose have to be the same thing. And I know for a lot of people, that's not the case. So when I was passionate about food and supplements and healthy lifestyle and wellness and all of that, my passion or my purpose was aligned with that passion. When I wasn't passionate about it anymore, it wasn't my purpose anymore. And I am passionate about trauma healing and trauma healing resources and nervous system education. And so that has become my passion. Does that make sense? 
totally. I'm the same way. I've just, everything I'm into, I make my job because like, yep. why not? <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah for sure. <laughs> um, so let's talk a little bit about that, this sort of epiphany that you had about healing trauma <clears throat> holistically um, and really your motivation to start the podcast and what are some of these different facets that you focused on in addition to food, in addition to medication for a time, all of those things. Yeah, for sure. That's a great question. So, um, I like, I just will say disclosure off the bat, like what I know about my nervous system and about trauma now, I did not learn from my therapist and I did not learn from my psychiatrist. So what I share with the world now that comes from like my own personal story is lived experience. It's experimenting on myself. And if you've been in the health and wellness industry, there's a lot of biohacking and experimenting on yourself that goes into that. So that was like something I was definitely comfortable with. Mm -hmm. Um, but what I realized was that, um, as a whole person, like I am more than just my body. And so sure. Eating healthy foods, like nourishing myself, cleaning up my environment, that, that takes care of the, the shell, right? The body but I'm so much more than my body. And like, I have a mind that thinks and sometimes overthinks and sometimes like carries me away with it. And, you know, so I have that. So how am I taking care of that? I also have emotions that for many years I didn't feel, you know, because I was living in my head all the time. Um, I was just like a body walking around with a head, but not actually inhabiting my body because I was inhabiting my head. Um, and so I had all these like emotions that I hadn't felt that I had suppressed for basically my whole life going all the way back into childhood. So how was I going to take care of my emotions? Because there's no supplement in the world that's going to take care of my emotions. Um, I also have a, a spiritual being like I, I personally know that I am more than whatever is present on this plane of existence. Like I know that I have a soul. I know that it has lived many lifetimes. I know that it is um, trying to ascend and become a more developed soul and that the things that I experience in this, this lifetime and other lifetimes before and other lifetimes after are all part of that soul growth process. Mm-hmm. So how am I taking care of that? Like how am I nurturing my soul and my spirituality? And then finally, a lot of holistic people, they talk about the mind, body, mind, body, spirit medicine, right? Like they, they talk about that. That's not up for debate here. That's all important. But something I didn't see anybody talking about was the ancestral piece. And it was like, that's part of my being too. That is just as much a part of me as my physical body, as my mind, as my emotions, as my spirituality, Like I wouldn't exist if it hadn't been for the people who came before me. And we know now that like science is backing up the fact that trauma is passed on in genes and it alters genetic expression. And, um, there's such a a huge ancestral piece. And I didn't see that being addressed anywhere, even by people who were claiming to be into holistic wellness. Mm. And so, um, so in 2020, it was like probably this time last year, so t- March of 2020, um, the phrase holistic trauma healing like dropped into my awareness. And I don't have any other way of, ex- of describing it other than like, it was just, it just, it was like one day I did not have this phrase in my vocabulary <laughs> and the next day I did. And yeah. I wrote it down and I Googled it and I couldn't find anything. Like 
there was nothing there. And I was like, surely I'm not like on to something, <laughs> you know, like sure. surely. <laughs> right. Yeah. And so I just like sat with it for a few months and I knew that I wasn't passionate about the food blog anymore. I knew that like I wanted to step into doing something else. I knew it would have to do something with trauma. I didn't know it was going to be a podcast. I didn't know it was going to be a membership. I didn't know what it was going to be. I just knew like, this is my passion and my purpose. And I don't see anybody else talking about this. Yeah. And, um, then in July of 2020, um, after a whole summer of like racking my head, trying to figure out what am I going to do? I was totally overthinking, but trying to figure out what am I going to do? How am I going to do this? What does it look like? Like, what are the nuts and bolts of it? Can I make money doing this? Like all of these questions. Um, I, um, I did acid. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that's like, literally I took, I I took a tab and a half of acid. (laughs) So, uh, and while I was on the tab and a half of acid, um, the, this, the presence that was with me for that entire day was the spider. And it started that morning before I'd even taken the acid. I had this like overwhelming compulsion to water my plants before Mm. I dropped acid that day. (laughs) And I came down to my office and I was watering all my plants and there was a spider on the wall. And I know people having spiders in their house is usually pretty common, but where I live, it's not very common. Like I very rarely see a spider inside my house. Mm -hmm. So I saw the spider on the wall and I'm pretty squeamish about spiders. I don't really like them. And so before, like my instinct would have been to like grab a flip flop and like smash it, you know? But I didn't, it was like, it was like, I had this like connection with the spider and I was like, this feels significant. I'm just going to leave this here. And so I did. And, um, took the acid and was wandering around the woods. And while I was in the woods, um, came on like a big spider web that was, it was like an old spider web. You could tell it was old cause it wasn't, you know, had holes in it and mm-hmm. stuff, but there was a dragonfly caught in the spider web. And, um, I just stopped and like crouched down and just like started crying, looking at this dragonfly. And my husband who was with me, was like, is everything okay? Are you okay? And I was just like, I just identify with this dragonfly so much. Like you can tell it really struggled to get out of this web and the harder it struggled, the more stuck it got. Mm. And I was like, that's how I feel. (laughs) And, and so then I let, you know, I had my moment with the dragonfly and I was like very aware that, uh, that the spider and the spider web were like a huge part of that day. And for the rest of the day, um, it was a lovely, lovely day, but spiders were everywhere. Like I went and sat on a blanket in my yard and there was a spider on the blanket and like the spiders were everywhere. It was amazing. And by the end of the day, um, I was walking around my house inside and I'd been doing some shaking cause I was having a lot of anxiety from coming down from the LSD. Mm-hmm. And it was just like all of a sudden holistic trauma healing and the spider web were like the same thing. And I saw, and I just like started talking and my husband grabbed my phone and he hit record and I still have the recording <laughs> oh of me God. like coming down from acid, <laughs> describing the spider web and holistic trauma healing. But like basically what I saw was that the mental, physical, spiritual, emotional, and ancestral parts of our being are like the anchor points of a spider's web. And then the spider weaves her web around those anchor points. Mm -hmm. And then if something happens 
to the web if it gets, you know, if somebody knocks it off or if somebody like there's a hole in it, a bug comes along, whatever, messes up the web. She doesn't have to tear down the whole web and start over. She just goes to that one part and she like makes a repair and then she goes back and she sits. Mm. And the sitting on the web was like, um, you know, just her sitting and being, she's not doing anything, but she's so in tune with like every little thing that's going on, you know, a tiny vibration in that web is all it takes for her legs to pick that up and for her to know that there's something that that's there for her, you know? Mm -hmm. And so like how in tune with our being that we need to be in order to like pick up on these vibrations of things that come through, um, that are ultimately a part of who we are and, and a part of what we need to heal because trauma doesn't just affect us physically. It doesn't just affect us emotionally or mentally. Trauma affects every part of our existence, like wow. mind, body, spirit, ancestry, emotions. It affects all of it. But what I saw with like the mental health industry, for example, you know, therapy is very cognitive. It like it's taking care of your mind for sure. But you can't think your way out of a trauma response. You can't think your way out of a dysregulated state in your nervous system. Um, psychiatry also, it's like taking care of, I would say, body and mind together. You know, it's trying and, and it has a purpose and it has a place and I'm grateful for it. And I wouldn't hesitate to use it again if I had to. Yeah. Um, but I didn't see anybody like pulling it all together and talking about how trauma like affects us spiritually and how it affects, you know, like physically with like chronic illness and chronic pain and stuff like that. Um, I didn't see anyone talking about it ancestrally and how that can come through and how with awareness, we can be the person in our ancestry who like stops generations of shit that had ha have happened before us. So sorry, that was like a very like windy feminine way of describing like, <laughs> how this came into being, but it started with an acid trip. Yeah, no, perfect. That's great. <laughs> I, I loved every moment of that story. Um, <laughs> Yeah, it's interesting too, like for those of us who fell victim to some form of fundamentalism at one time, I mean, yes, I think initially we run the risk of falling victim to a different form of fundamentalism, as it sounds like both of us did. Um, but then once you, once you recognize that that in and of itself, the sort of narrow-minded, I'm walking around with blinders on kind of way of existence is not the way to go. You know, I talk about like nuance and paradox on my podcast, like ad nauseum, you know, like that's just, that's the way that I see the world. It's the only way that I know how to exist that feels safe is to look at something holistically. Um, so it's interesting to, to recognize how like those of us, you know, who once thought in that very narrow minded way, then come become almost like allergic to that in all forms, no matter what the belief is, um, like woke cancel culture. Let's <laughs> <laughs> just drop that in there. Segway. <laughs> yeah, there we go. All right. Yep. Yeah. So I, I think I have a theory about this and I don't really yeah. have any way to prove it, but I do have a theory about it. And that is for me before I could like, for me, the healing was steps of awareness. Yeah. It was like going from operating under the hidden programming of my ego, of being reactionary to various situations in my life or people, um, having sort of the same like existence day in and day out, emotional existence, mm -hmm. thoughts going through my head, you know, the tape that's playing all the time inside of our heads, um, being completely out of awareness of that, then stepping into awareness. When I was out of awareness of all of that, 
it was easy to buy into fundamentalist Christianity yeah. because it, it was easy to grasp a hold of that certainty. It was also easy to grab a hold of like diet culture, right. you know, and the health and wellness industry. As soon as the blinders were off and I was operating from a place of awareness instead of the hidden programming, that's when I like developed the spidey sense against like any kind of fundamentalist ideology. So yeah. for me, it was, it was the awareness was the difference. But I think um, I had a person on my podcast recently um, and what she said was really profound. I've quoted it over and over and over, but she said a traumatized nervous system is a binary nervous system. And um, that was like mind blowing for me because the, the more binary we are in our thinking, the more we're grasping hold of these ideologies and, and trying to force them on other people and trying to force people to comply with them or whatever, like that is literally a sign of how binary our own nervous systems are because we don't feel safe at all with any yeah. kind of complexity or nuance. Yeah. And the only way to start feeling safe with complexity and nuance is to have the awareness that you don't feel safe with it. And then to start exploring that and being curious about it. And, um, so now that I do live my life in awareness, I can see things like woke cancel culture and probably two years ago, if I wasn't in the awareness that I have now, I would have been susceptible to like joining that yeah. cult-like thinking. You know, I totally would have, I, I validate how people are susceptible to that. I really yeah. do. Um, but at the same time, if you really are thinking for yourself, then there has to be nuance, there has to be complexity, and there has to be the ability to question authority, and there has to be the ability to like sit with ideas and thoughts that make you uncomfortable and like flesh those out and explore like what is this mirroring back to myself that I need to heal or or that is coming up to be recognized in me yeah. instead of making it about other people, you yeah. know? Yeah. Which is what fundamentalist Christianity is. It's never about reflecting on the self. It's always about like speaking the truth and love to everyone right. else, you know, as a way of holding people accountable. Like it's, it's yeah. the same, it's the same, Shit. it's the same thing in different colors. Right. Like that's all it is. Yeah. I, I, I wanted to know if like what your, what your journey with that was as well. It was, I, so I decided to change my whole life. I was like a married housewife in San Diego for a oh while. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Like working in marketing at like a natural products company. Yeah. Um, and then I, decided to get divorced and like, it was rather abrupt. Um, but I left and this was like a month after Trump got elected. And mm -hmm. so I was going through this like huge and then like discovered all my childhood trauma and like yada, yada, yada. Um, but I went through this huge, like personal dark night of the soul crisis. I feel like around, around the time that a lot of this woke cancel culture stuff started coming up like the me too movement there was a bunch of stuff happening about race like it was just really prominent and it was this fascinating like I think from the very beginning I felt some degree of skepticism I think I'm just that kind of a person I like asking questions and like playing devil's advocate just because I like the different sides of everything um, but so there was always part of me that was like I don't know there's something about this that doesn't sit well with me um and some, some forms of fundamentalism became very, like, a lot easier for me to crawl out of than others. Like, I felt pretty certain that there was some things off about the Me Too movement that I didn't love, which then was like, wait, I feel like maybe even these, you know, Black Lives Matter movements, like, not that those things aren't important, but I just, I had so many questions and, like, I just <laughs> wanted to talk about it. And that eventually is really what inspired the podcast. But 
Um, did you feel at any point, like when that begun, like, is this real? Like, did you have to sort of second guess it or did you sort of immediately know, like, no, this is totally off? Okay. So (laughs) confession. Yeah. Um, I was introduced to all of this, like social activism, social justice stuff less than a year ago. Yeah. Like when George Floyd was murdered. Got it. That was my, (laughs) like, I am not, I've never been to a protest. Like I've never, I've never like gone and, and like sat on a pipeline. I've never, um, I've never like, I've never done any of that. So that's my confession. Um, but (laughs) as, as our friend Clementine Morgan has told me, She's like, Lindsay, you're a breath of fresh air that you don't have this history because (laughs) like you can see it and you can recognize that it's bullshit because you don't have, like you weren't raised in it. It's not your heritage, you know? And so, um, so yeah, but after George Floyd was killed, um, and social media was exploding with all of this stuff and rightfully so like that was a tragic situation. It should have never happened. And, um, it also happened like three hours from me. So it felt really close, you know? Yeah. Um, and like admittedly as a white woman, I, I had not done any anti-racism work. Like I totally will admit to that. Um, but I also like wasn't living my life as a member of the Ku Klux Klan, you know, <laughs> like, um, so yeah. which is another fundamentalist ideology. Right. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, I, so for like the first two months after George Floyd, um, I did get a little bit swept away in the woke narrative. And I started following a lot of accounts that I now have unfollowed because I saw like how harmful and damaging, yeah. but I was just this like, uneducated, you know, I didn't know what I didn't know. And even though I don't think it's the majority of people who feel the way those people feel, those are the people with the loudest voices. And so that's like what was coming up in my feed and that's who people were telling me to follow. And that's like, you know, and I have since unfollowed them because like, I do see the fundamentalism and I do see the judgment and the coercion and the, um, the accountability demands and all of that shit. And I'm, and I'm not here for that. And, um, but I, like, I totally acknowledge that for the first couple of months I was like, okay, this is what I need to do. This is what anti-racism work looks like. Like this is social activism, you know? And because I didn't know any different. And now that I know differently, um, you know, great for people who go and protest and great for people who sit on pipelines and all of that. And maybe one day I will be called to do something like that. But like right now, like the, for me, the biggest act of anti-racism that I can do is as a mother, like teaching my children not to be racist, yeah. like that's activism, you know? And, um, and I do like other stuff than that. Like I do community work and I am really involved in like local food, um, availability in my community. And, um, I grow a lot of my own food, which I think is like a huge form of activism. Um, but, but yeah, it it was for a couple months there, I did feel the like nervous system dysregulation and the, the tide, the tidal wave of like feeling like I was part of something bigger than myself that was really going to make a difference. And then I started to sort of like step back and look at it. And the only thing that made me step back and look at it was it was summertime and I spend all my time in the woods in the summer, you know, 
And when you're spending your time in nature and you're with like other than human beings, like suddenly things become clear <laughs> totally <laughs> that weren't like I don't have a way to explain it it's not like the cedar tree like told me you know it was just like things just become like there's so much more perspective and there's more spaciousness to like allow those questions to come up whereas whenever you're just like sitting and scrolling on your phone there is like it's like that's the tunnel vision and there is no spaciousness to ask questions and Um, but yeah, now I'm like, I know that I know that I know that any other fundamentalist ideology that comes along, I will be able to like spot it from a mile away and I will never touch it with a 10 foot pole. Yeah. Yeah. I think this thing you're saying about being in the woods, to me, this is like part of the problem here. The reason, one of the reasons we're so susceptible to this stuff is because it's all we can hear. We don't, I mean, like all of us, I feel like that was one of my big like channeled epiphanies during my crisis was like, none of us know who we are. Like none of us were given the opportunity to be like wild and free. Like we have no idea what our thoughts are versus our parents' thoughts versus society's thoughts. Like we're a hot mess. Um, and until we give ourselves the space to think for ourselves, we're never going to be able to figure this out. But like to be able to know that you need to take the space for yourself is a whole other level of self-trust. Like that to me is such a big part of it. And and why I feel really sort of sad and empathetic is because it's like, people don't know what they don't know. Um, you know? (laughs) Yeah. And, and like, I will, like, I just, for anyone listening, like going out and spending time in nature doesn't mean taking your phone and Instagramming the whole thing. Right. It means like yeah. you leave the phone Cut at yourself home. yourself off. Yeah. Right. You leave yeah. it in the car. Like you go out completely disconnected from that. Like that's spending time by yourself. That's spending time in nature. It's not, I'm not spending time by myself if I'm like sitting under a tree, scrolling on my phone and doing an Instagram story about how I'm sitting on a tree, under a tree, you know? Right. So like, I I just want to clarify that for people. Yeah. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah. No. Yeah. I talk about this thing that I did. I mean, literally did this where I finally, I got divorced. I moved back in with my mother. That was a disaster. Finally got my own place, like had the space and the time. I was really sick. I had like severe I got severe acne all over my face. So I was like forced to isolate, which was horrific, but also like in retrospect, fucking amazing. Um, but I remember being in my apartment. It was like the first time I'd lived alone ever in my adult life. Like I'd just been in like nonstop relationships and like, it was just, I had no idea. And I thought, well, what if I played this little game with myself where I just ask myself, like, why do you do that? Like, why do you wash your dishes in the morning and not, or at night and not in the morning? Like, why do you wear that? Why do you go to sleep at this time? Um, Which sounds bizarre, but it was so healing for me. And I think just also speaks to like, you know, the damage that's been done that we grow up in a way that's like, oh, you're not hungry, eat anyway. You know, you're not tired, go to sleep. (laughs) Like, we just don't learn how to think for ourselves. Um, And we're just all trying to be like good children and you know be loved and accepted um it's just so it's just so sad at the end of the day um yeah 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 totally totally disconnected from intuition and from the body and from listening to the body and um yeah I mean I was there too I was totally there too like I've I've been like reconnected to myself for like a grand total of two years, Yeah, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like it, it's more of a new experience than it, it. It's not, I mean, it is my norm now, but it's not like I had years and years of this under my belt, but, for sure. um, <laughs> I'm grateful that I have the two years that I have. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, I have very similar timeline for me. Um, yeah, 2018 was like the year from hell, dude. <laughs> it was like everybody I talked to. Seriously, I can't tell you how many people that are like, 2018 was the worst year of my life. Yeah. Like for me, 2020 had nothing on 2018. Yeah. Like. <laughs> Same. Nope, totally. Yeah, I feel like by the end of 2018, I figured it out. For me, 2017 and 2018 were just like lost yeah. to my inner world, <laughs> my underworld, really. Um so you, I, I sort of, I, not to talk about the details because we don't need to do that. I'm more interested in hearing what your experience was, but I know at some point you were like canceled for something. Um, and I'm interested to hear what that first experience was like for you and <laughs> how you curled out of that oh, one. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. My first cancellation experience was this last November, mm-hmm. um, November, 2020. And, um, so my husband and I co-run an Instagram account about Christian deconstruction. Um, it's called, we have things to say. We used to be more active on it than we are now, but, mm. um, we're not super active on it anymore. But anyway, around the holidays, um, I posted in my feed on, over there, that religion and politics don't have a place at the holiday table. And mostly it got a really good response. Got lots of likes, lots of shares, lots of people being like, yes, amen, like whatever. Mm -hmm. But somebody came into the comments and they were like saying that they didn't have a choice to talk about religion and politics at the table, that like they have to talk about that, like when they're around their families. And... I didn't check out who this person was. I didn't like stalk them and go check out their profile or anything. I just, their comment was pretty hateful and um, snarky and I didn't like it. And so I deleted it. Well, then they came back again and they left another comment and then like a bunch of people came along with them. And if if I had gone and checked out who the person was, like they were a woman of color. Um, And, but I didn't go and check out who it was. And so then it was like, it's white women like you who make the internet unsafe for women of color. And so I was just deleting comments and deleting comments and I was so dysregulated and I was like, (laughs) and, um, finally my husband was like, okay, I am making the executive decision to disable comments on this post. So he disabled the comments on the post. And that was like the first, that was the first experience. And, um, like what I learned out of that was like, first of all, even when a complete stranger like does this to you, it's insanely dysregulating. (laughs) It's not fun at all. Um, but the other thing that I learned was, um, that really, it doesn't matter what you do. If people who are, if people are committed to misunderstanding you, it really doesn't matter what you do because they're going to misunderstand you no matter what. And, um, I believe that if I had gone to this person's profile and, and they were, they actually had a really big Instagram account. Like they're pretty big in the Christian deconstruction space. I just didn't happen to know them. Um, and they were a woman of color, excuse me. And, um, but if I had gone to their profile and checked them out and seen that they were a woman of color and made the decision to delete or not delete the comment, then would that not have been racist? Right. Like if I would have kept the comment because the person was a woman of color, even if the comment didn't align, even if it was snarky, even if it was hateful, even if it didn't make sense, like because they were a person of color, I was supposed to keep the comment, but if it had been a white person, it would have been fine. Right. 
And like, that was like another, also another disconnect from like the wokeism, you know? Cause I was like, this doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Like the rules are different depending on your skin color and that's not anti-racism, you right. know? And so that was the first experience. And then, um, and it, it only happened the one time. And I met Clementine, um, after that experience, I invited her to be on my podcast to talk about cancel culture. Um, and we did, and it was a really, really good episode. And, um, but then more recently, kind of ongoing for like the last three months, I've been dealing with another, another internet smear campaign, call out campaign. In case you didn't know, um, I am a member of the pastel alt-right QAnon. (laughs) Just in case you didn't know, I want to make sure your readers know who they're listening to. I just like, I can't even the pastel part. Like, I'm just so glad they threw that in because jokes galore. Yeah. 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 So yeah, it's just regulating, but at the same time, like, um, I'm handling it differently than I handled it back in November the first time it happened. Like I was really dysregulated then and like I, I could feel it in my nervous system and like I lost some sleep over it. And it was like a big deal and I was like, shit, I can't let this happen to my mental health. Like I'm in a really good stable place right now and I have to protect yeah. that space, you know? Yeah. So that was really hard. But this this time around, like the longer it goes on, the more I'm just choosing to heal through like humor and laughter and just keep showing up in my authenticity and in my integrity. Like, I know I'm not in the all right QAnon. Yeah. You know, I know I'm not. And most <laughs> of the people who follow me know I'm not either. And my community, my real life community, yeah. they definitely know I'm not. So really what this person says is it's delusional and it's crazy. And I honestly am like afraid for their mental health. And I hope that they're getting some help. Yeah. Yep. Um, yeah. And I, I mean... I think the only antidote to these things is this degree of self-awareness and self-confidence. I mean, I recently, I've always, it's never been super severe for me. I'm sort of just waiting though for it to happen, but I've always been like mini canceled a lot because I say a lot of controversial things and have for the past two years, (laughs) like even when not a lot of people were doing it. Um, But it is interesting that the farther I get with my own, self-awareness and development and like the more confident I become in in my own truth and like the truth uh the less I feel you know a victim of these sorts of campaigns it's like no I'm sorry you're just wrong and like I don't care you know I get it like of course women have been you know there's so much prejudice there's prejudice against people of color like but just because you know, there've been a prejudice, there's prejudice against women doesn't mean like all women should have this like, you know, undebatable platform to say whatever they want at any given time. Like, and I feel comfortable saying that because I'm a woman and like, because I've done stupid shit in my life, you know, and accused people of things that were irrational. And, um, but it, it is, it is difficult. And I, especially for those of us who are like fucking genuine, good, kind people, it's like we so want the other people to understand us and to, you know, respond and to argue and to prove ourselves. And eventually, yeah, for me, it just got to the point recently when it happened, when I was just, I did the same thing. I was like, I'm just turning off the fucking comments. I don't care. Like, I just don't, I don't have the time or the space. And the the irony was that my whole post was about, like, how all of our bodies, no matter what race or gender we are, feel chronic stress um 
no matter how privileged we are. And here I am, like, making this argument that we need to be mindful of that while I'm like, no, you're an asshole, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, wait a second, what am I doing? Like, <laughs> I'm, I'm doing the exact same thing. I just got, I'm, like, so confused, but I have to stop. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think, I've ta- I think I've talked about how, like, the nervous system knows no color. Yeah. Like, all of our nervous systems behave the same way when confronted with, like, stress. No. And so... I wish that we could stop seeing people. Like if we could all just see everyone as a bunch of nervous systems, you know, that would be like revolutionary (laughs) because I mean, race (laughs) race is a construct. Race doesn't exist. It's not real. Racism is totally real. Like it's totally real and it's fucked up. Um, but race is not real. Like I'm not going to make a decision about somebody based on their hair color or their eye color or like what car they drive. Like why would I make a decision about somebody based on their skin color? Why would I choose to treat somebody differently based on their skin color? Like I'm just not. And, um, you know, I'm still like, I'm learning too. Like I have a best friend in my life who she's constantly like, yes, what you're saying is right. But look at the bigger picture. Like, look at how systemically this is working. And she's right. Systemically, yeah. it is. It's different. Yeah. But attacking individual people doesn't take down systems. Yeah. You know. Right. Like attacking me with thirty five hundred Instagram followers. What is that accomplishing? Right. You know, like. Right. <laughs> well, and 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 it's it's ultimately a symptom of the entire problem, right? I mean, to me, I see so much of this behavior as coming from dysregulated humans, like traumatized humans, you know, like that's what we're all, we're all angry. We're all hurt. We're all totally afraid. And so we act out and lash out and bully and blame and point fingers. And like, you know, that's hard to see too, because it's just like, oh, these people are suffering. Like you said, this woman who's canceling you now, it's like, it's, upsetting and unfortunate. Um, but I can't help, but just think that's mostly what's going on. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I believe that you're right because I've been on the receiving end of people saying these things about me and I know how dysregulating that is. Yeah. And I know that in those moments, my instinct is to just like thumbs on fire, start defending myself and start telling people how wrong they are and how stupid they are. And like, that's that I like, I have those feelings too, you know? Yeah. But again, the only difference is awareness. Like, and I have been in my ego and I've done that before. And then I've gone back and like deleted the comment because it was like, whoa, 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 whoa. Like if I was in awareness here, I, that's not something I would say. And so Yeah, literally the only difference is awareness. And like when you're not in awareness, when you're feeling all these feelings in your body, when when your body is like uncomfortable sensations and these emotions that feel like they're way too big to handle and like they're going to swallow you whole and like you have all this like paranoia and fear and... Um, and you're trying to like put on this face that everything is fine. Whenever people are looking at you, it's like, you're trying to hold all of these different, you're trying to spin all these different plates at one time. And like, it just doesn't work. And if, if these people, like, I genuinely hope that the, the issue is not whether or not I, or you or Clementine or anyone, that issue is not what we have done wrong. Right. Mm -hmm. That's not the issue. Like what we have done wrong is like, that's on us that's our responsibility to take. Like that's, that's on us. But the issue is like, what is it that these people are hoping to get out of this? And even if I deplatform myself or hand my keys to my Instagram account over to them or disappear, like 
they're just going to go on and they're going to do it to somebody else because they're locked in this addiction to their own stress hormones, you know? Right. And like, it doesn't, we could all die. Like all of us could die and they would still go find somebody else to go after. So it's really, it's not, I know that it's not about me. I know that it's about that person and it's about the place that they're at. And you know, it, it, What scares me, because I've been in this place too, what scares me is that when I checked myself into the hospital, I didn't have health insurance. And so I spent five days in the hospital as an uninsured person, which meant I had a really large hospital bill when I left that was my responsibility to pay for, right? Like thousands of dollars of medical debt. Yeah. What scares me for this person is that maybe they're in the same situation and they do need help and they can't afford it. And they like, they need support. They need therapy. They need medication. They need a doctor. They need like, what scares me is that they do, this is the cry for help and they can't get help because they can't afford it or it's not accessible to them in some way. Like that's what scares me. Yeah. Right. And, and though that ultimately the only way that any of us can help ourselves is to do just that Mm -hmm. and like recognize that we have the agency. I mean, I think the you know, and maybe I'm, I wonder if you feel this too, like, because I've been hurt, because I've been abused even, like, because of all of these things, you know, it's very easy for me or easy for you being raised in a fundamentalist environment to, like, just be a victim and be like, it's your fault, you need to fix this, blah, blah, blah. But I, I feel just sort of allergic to that framework across the board, which doesn't yeah. mean that I'm ignorant to the lack of privilege that people have. But I truly don't understand how you crawl out of a bad situation without at least believing that you possibly could or asking for help or just recognizing you have the agency to do so and that nobody else can necessarily do that for you. Yeah, Um, completely, completely. I do think that there is a lot of um, victim mentality there. And there is a difference between having a victim mentality and being a victim. Like... All of us have been victims of something, right? You know, like, yeah. And and I'm not into the like trauma comparison where it's like, well, I was raped, so that's worse than no. You know, you being bullied at school, like, right. no. I'm. We're not going to compare traumas because it everybody. Matter. It doesn't fucking matter. <laughs> yeah. And like, everybody's nervous system is different, and everybody's nervous system has a different level of like resiliency to these yeah. things or lack of resiliency. So it really doesn't matter. Yeah. Um, but like, so we've all been victims of something. The victim mentality, however, is when you're like, you're just like living in this perpetual state of like, woe is me. The world is out to get me. There is nothing that I can do to stop this or save myself. I can't change. This is just how I am. And people who don't accept me are abusing me. And like, that's the victim mentality. And, you know, Like I say this with a lot of compassion, sometimes people just need us to like meet them where they are and be like, I see how hard this is for you. Like, tell me what this feels like for you. But then somebody has to, at some point, somebody has to be like, okay, how you feel is valid, but what purpose is it serving for you to continue to just like wallow in the self-pity and in this lack of self-responsibility? And that's, that's what I see on the internet the most, I think is just a lack of self-responsibility. Like we've made everyone else responsible for our persecution and our feelings and our development and our growth and our like safety and everything else. Like we've made everyone else responsible for that without going actually like 
this is not your job. Like this is my job. Like I have an example. I shared this on Instagram yesterday. This is a small example, but it's like an example of self-responsibility. So I, um, had a prescription. I take a prescription antihistamine and, um, I was out and my husband works in the same building as the pharmacy. And so I called my prescription in and I like texted my husband, can you please pick up my prescription? And he said, yes. And he forgot. So I didn't have any to take. And I woke up having some allergy symptoms at like four in the morning yesterday. And I texted my husband again, cause he was at work. And I was like, can you please go get my prescription? Like I woke up at four o'clock with allergies mm-hmm. and he was like, Oh, I'm so sorry. My bad. I had a moment where I wanted to text him back and be like, I feel like you don't care about me when you don't go get my prescription because you're right there in the building. It's convenient for you to get it. And the fact that you didn't consider me in this, like, I just feel like that is just another example of how, you know, our relationship isn't working or something like that, you know? Um, so like I, I really did. I had that moment of just like thumbs on fire, you know, wanting to do that, but awareness, so like, he was like, my bad, I'll go get it right now. So I don't forget. I was like, you know what? It's not your responsibility. It's my prescription. I could have gotten in the car and gone and picked it up myself. And I didn't, it's not your fault that I don't have it. Yeah. And even he was like, that was a different response than you would have normally given me. And I was like, it's because I'm trying to take responsibility for myself. Yeah. <laughs> like, and I'm acknowledging that you picking up my prescription for me is a very nice thing that you do. And yes, it's convenient, but I also have my own car and I can also go and get it myself and I can pay for it myself. And like, I can do all these things myself. I just yeah. choose to ask you to do it for me. It's not your fault that I don't have it. And I mean, I know that's like a silly, like little real life example, but it's, you know, how somebody feels about my content is not my problem that's, that's on them. How somebody feels about a podcast episode, this podcast episode is not about us. It's about them. And we don't say that with like harshness or like, um, insensitivity, you know, it's like how I can't change how everyone else is like seeing the world. Everyone's seeing the world through their own filter. I can't make your filter be different than what it is. I can't make you hear something differently than how you hear it. If you're committed to misunderstanding me, you're going to misunderstand me no matter what I say, because really it's not about me. It's about you. Um, I did a podcast episode recently where I was talking about healing from childhood trauma um, and why we don't need an apology from our parents to heal from childhood trauma. Because like... My, you know, my mom gave me the silent treatment a lot when I was a kid. She's kind of passive aggressive and gave me the silent treatment. And as I grew up, like when people don't respond to my text messages or when I ask them a question, they don't give me an answer or they don't call me right back after I leave a message or something. I feel that same sense of like paranoia of like, what did I do wrong? You know, when I'm replaying what happened the last time we interacted to try to figure out if I offended them in some way or said something I shouldn't have said or whatever. Yeah. And, um, like, again, my question, you were asking, like, why do I do this? My question is, what purpose does this serve? So as I'm, like, feeling these feelings and noticing this happening in my very adult body, it's like, well, what purpose does it serve for me to feel this way or think this way just because my friend doesn't text me right back, you know? Mm-hmm. And what I realized was it was, like, a trauma response. It was, like, buried deep inside little inner child Lindsay who, like, her mom shouldn't have treated her that way. Her mom shouldn't have done that. And she internalized this response and she created a belief system about herself. And that belief system is now the filter that I'm viewing the rest of the world through. Yeah. So for you, if your mom didn't do that to you, 
then maybe you don't experience the, the paranoia when somebody doesn't text you back or call you back, right? Because your experience is your filter. So, um, but what I realized was like, if that was about my mom, then when I was growing up and out of the house and no longer like dealing with my mom on a daily basis and her being like an authority over me because I'm a child, like then I would have stopped feeling that way as soon as I moved out. Right. But it's not about my mom. It's about me because it happens with my husband. It happens with my friends. Even when I ask my teenager a question and they don't respond back to me, it even happens then. (laughs) And so that's how I know that like, it's not on my mom to come to me and tell me that she's sorry for that. I mean, and she has told me that she's sorry, but like her telling me that she's sorry is not what made me heal. Like what made me heal from that was like recognizing in myself, the feelings that I was feeling and what I was experiencing and the sensations in my body and how it was happening with more than just my mom. And it was like, Oh, this isn't actually about my mom. This is about me and what wants to heal inside of me. That's self-responsibility. Even though something was done to me that I didn't have any choice over any agency over, even though my mom shouldn't have done that. Like we're not excusing what my mom did, but we're saying, okay, this happened to you. It wasn't your fault. You didn't choose it but you're an adult now. You have agency now. And what you do with it is your responsibility and no one else's. Right. Right. Which also doesn't mean that in that process, we're sidestepping the grief of the fact that our parents didn't give you, give us what we deserved, you know, like that's Absolutely. the other piece. And of course, I think ultimately like that's why we avoid that self-responsibility because I feel like the only way to do that is to confront the grief and the emotions that we've been repressing and suppressing for, you know, potentially our entire life. Yeah. Um, and, and again, like, you know, coming full circle, it's like, how much of us, how, how much are we avoiding that because we don't have the support because we don't have examples, you know, like Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm grateful for people like you. And like, it's why I started my podcast was like, I just can't, like, I didn't know where to go during this period of time. And like, if I had had more resources earlier on, or if I'd had more examples of people who had gone through this, I probably could have avoided like a decade of you know, just going in the complete wrong direction for my life. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's why I feel so passionate too about like, like if someone's got to speak out against the cancel culture shit, like someone's got to do it. Like, because I don't really understand how we're going to move forward without that example and people like, Oh, okay. So I'm not crazy. Um, like that's just so imperative to all of this, I think. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. All right. Well, this was really fun. Is yeah. fun the word? It was, it was insightful. Yeah. I mean, I had fun. <laughs> I, had I like fun. talking about this stuff. I, I do too. <laughs> I do too. Like if people come into my life and they're like, they don't want to talk about their childhood trauma. I'm like, Meh, next. Like, <laughs> like that's yeah. all I want to talk about. Yeah. I, I don't actually have surface level relationships. Cause like, no. I, I don't actually know how to sit and have like a chit chatty <laughs> conversation. I like sit down with my cup of tea and I'm like, so tell me, what are you passionate about and why, you know, yeah. what is your life purpose? I know right. it's actually talk, talk about weird nervous system stuff. I've actually realized like I've become very aware at this point of my life, like who are the types of people that I feel super calm and safe around? And mm-hmm. that's sort of like scratching the surface, hyper agreeability, like just weird, 
I don't know, just too nice, like too perfect, too above ground. I am so triggered by it. Like I really, I'm just waiting for the other shoe to drop. Like what is it that's inside that you, where is your shadow that you're not conscious of that's going to like come out at me at some point? Yeah. Um, Yeah. So yeah, yeah, that's been, it's been nice to like recognize that and like not blame myself for, it's just like, oh, I'm annoying and I don't like superficial conversation. It's actually like, I just don't feel super safe here. Yeah. Um, well, and to be fair, like, um, 80% of my real life friends, like my close friends do not have online lives. Right. <laughs> so it's like, it's easier to be real. I feel like mm-hmm. because they're safe, like they're trusted and they're not having to like develop a personality to be one person in the online space and one person in real life. And something that I've really, really tried to do, like authenticity is one of my biggest values. And so something that I've really tried to do is, um, I want to be as much of the same person on the internet as I am in my real life. Totally. (laughs) And that's really hard to do, but the more I do it, the more I show up authentically, um, I don't know. It feels like a magnet. Like my, my podcast is growing more. My following on Instagram is growing more. Like the more people find me and me showing up in my authenticity, like the more they stay around and the more that they want more of whatever it is that I'm putting out there. And, and also like they feel more seen too, you know, cause like I'm not coddling anyone. Right. Um, I'm just like showing up with my integrity and, um, I have like good boundaries on the internet and I have good boundaries with my time and um, I'm not accountable to the internet, you know? And I think, I think when you say that it helps people be like, oh, well, I don't have to be accountable to the internet either. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Ta-da. Yeah. Yeah. Light bulbs and fireworks (laughs) and all of it for sure. (laughs) Um, So tell everyone where they can find you on the internet. Uh, and I always ask my guests at the end of the uh, conversation, if they could recommend a book or two books that were like super instrumental, um, or important to you in your life, what might those be? Okay. Well, where you can find me on the internet on Instagram, my account is at, I am Lindsay Lockett and it's Lindsay with an E Y as the universe intended. Um, and, uh, my website is lindsaylockett.com. Um, you can listen to the podcast there. My podcast is called holistic trauma healing. Um, it plays on the website or you can also find it on like iTunes or Spotify or something. And then for people who like, they love what I'm putting out on Instagram, they love the podcast, they find that to be beneficial and they want to like know me better and also, develop more like community around having some of these harder conversations and like excavating trauma and, um, need like a support team or a community of people to cheer them on as they become the heroes of their own stories. Um, I have a membership that's called the trauma healer circle and people can join that as well. Awesome. And as for books, oh my gosh. Uh, okay. So one of the most life-changing books for me was, um, a new earth by Eckhart Tolle. Um, or Toll or Tolly. I don't know how you say his last name. I think it's Toll, but I think it's Toll, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, that book was like foundational for um just my understanding of like ego and awareness and self-responsibility and the choices that I have to how I react to things and how I show up to things and the attachment that I have to things and you know, being emotionally neutral versus being emotionally reactive. Like if I could recommend like any personal growth, self-help, 
um, spiritual development book. It would be A New Earth by Eckhart Tolle, I think. Mm-hmm. And then another, okay, I'm really glad you asked this question. Now, now it's all coming to me, you know? Um, so another book that was really, really transformational in um, shifting my worldview from the fundamentalist Christian uh, mentality to a worldview that like appreciated and honored the earth and um, treated the earth like a being and not like a resource um, and just shifted my whole paradigm was um, the book Ishmael by Daniel Quinn. Mm-hmm. Um, have you read it? <laughs> I haven't. I haven't read it. I, it's on my list though. I know okay, a lot about it. It's yeah. really, really, <laughs> yeah. really, really good. Yeah. And um, he, in that book, the way that he wrote the book, the way that the story is told is like super fascinating. And I don't yeah. want to give that away for people who haven't, but it's like, it's so different from any other book I've ever read. I've never read a book that's told in the way that this, the story is told in this book. But yeah. um, it, it introduced to me the idea of being a lever or being a taker. And like mm-hmm. my relationship with people, with the earth, with um, animals, with like my money, like with everything really, it was like, and, and I hate to boil things down to like binaries, but like, it was really helpful for me to have the binary of like, are you a lever or a taker? And, um, I have tried to be a lever as much as possible. And I know that in my Christian life for sure, because Christianity and capitalism are like best friends <laughs> or mm-hmm. fundamentalist Christianity and capitalism are like best friends. And then yeah. they're like all in, they're all in bed with patriarchy, you know, <laughs> yeah. they're yes. like having this amazing it's the worst off- three way ever. It's the worst three way <laughs> yeah. ever. Um, like, but it, it like helped me to see that those systems were taker systems, you know, they like, they take and they take and they take and they oppress and they, um, steal and like, they're destroying things. Whereas like, there's this other option over here of being a lever and like appreciating things without seeing nature as a resource, you know? Oh, I guess if I was going to add one more, it would be braiding sweetgrass. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I, I have a book club as a part of my Patreon and we always, we I allow all of the patrons to vote on books like within a specific um, subject matter. And I always pick books that guests have recommended. So we did one. The very first one we did was braiding sweetgrass. Sweetgrass and Ishmael was on the list, but didn't get chosen. So we have to go back. We have to because I yeah, really want to read gotta it. Yeah, you got to go back. Yeah, yeah you got to go back. It's so good. Even I even had my teenagers read it. Like that yeah. was part of their homeschooling. I was like, you have to read this book. Oh my god, can you imagine? I think about that with braiding sweetgrass too. Like if those books were what the curriculum was, as opposed to the garbage yeah. that's on there, like uh, the different yeah. worlds that we'd have. I mean, if I had read like Ishmael and braiding sweetgrass and a new earth when I was like 15. Yeah. Like I cannot even imagine how potentially different my life would have been. But then I'm also dealing with this, like with my kids, you know, being the mom of a teenager is like no experience I've ever had before. And I definitely don't want to repeat it. Um, but like if my soul chose to incarnate in this body with the parents that I had at this time in history, for whatever soul lessons and soul growth that I needed to have happen to me, like my kids did too. And it's like really egoic for me to think that if I just give them the right books or if I just like give them the right whatever, that that's going to save them from whatever it is that their soul has chosen to come here and learn. Mm. And so I've sort of had to like give up on that as a mom. Um, And that's really hard, but it's like, I'm not respecting them as like humans and souls if I don't let go of my attachment to the outcome, you know? Right. So. Yeah. 
I, uh, yeah, the micromanaging of other people's growth is definitely <laughs> a lesson for, I don't have kids, but I've certainly found myself doing that with other people. It's hard. I mean, obviously it's coming from a place of like love and compassion, but. Yeah, it is, but it's also coming from a place of fear. Yeah. And control. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah, totally. Well, on that note, thank you, Lindsay. This was oh, great. Oh, for sure, Anya. Yeah, thank you. I'm excited to be here. This was wonderful. Hello, everybody. Thank you for sticking around and listening to that conversation. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Please go support Lindsay and all the work that she does if she is someone that you resonate with. Again, if you would like to support the podcast, there are a few ways to do that. You can share episodes with your friends. You can email them episodes. You can post on social media and tag me. Um, You can go to iTunes and hit some stars and leave a review. That helps the podcast show up in search results and reach more people. Um, If you do have a few extra bucks to spare and you would like to really sink yourself deeper into this community, Patreon is the place to do that. Patreon.com slash Anya Cots. There are a few different tiers for um, how you can sign up and depending on what tier you sign up for um, dictates what sort of perks you get access to. Of course, the way that I hope you think about it is that the money that you're donating is for the podcast, right? The perks are all extra. Um, the podcast in and of itself um is my job. (laughs) And because I don't plan on having advertisers, I need your help. So you can go onto um, Patreon, support the podcast, support this project, sort of invest your dollars in something that you feel is meaningful. And of course, it doesn't have to be me, right? I encourage you to all um, vote with your dollar in any way that you see fit, uh, supporting artists and creatives who have a harder time making money than people who have traditional jobs. Um, But if this project is something you'd like to support, In exchange, I do offer many perks. We have a monthly book club. I believe the next one will be in June. So stay out, uh, stay on the lookout for the announcement for that. We have patron or former guests of the podcast who lead workshops. Um, And let's see, we have two coming up. uh, One on the, they're both astrology based. So Saturn and Aquarius is one and another one on the lunar nodes. Um, And if you sign up, you also get access to all the workshops that we've taught in the past, plus all the book club discussions we've taught in the past or that I've led in the past. Um, So the workshops, there's one on how to become a more confident creator, seasonal foraging, um, my astrology 101 workshop, which is a three hour astrology workshop. Uh, So lots of value there, basically for 10 bucks when you sign up for Patreon. Um, Playlists and uh, behind the scenes footage. um, I sometimes release video versions of the conversations for my patrons uh, and the Discord server, which is amazing and sort of its own little entity living on its own of Millennials Guide listeners who... Yeah, amongst so many topics, psychology, astrology, gardening, art, um, everyone's just in there communicating with each other, meeting each other in person, inspiring each other. It's fucking rad. It's really the next best thing, I think, from uh, an in-person community. And I hope that is where we're going. This is just the first step. So all of that you can find on Patreon, patreon.com slash Anya Kotz, A-N-Y-A-K-A-A-T-S. I'm going to play you out with a slow one called Waking Up by Explosions in the Sky, because I think we all need to wake up. I listened to this a lot during my dark night where I couldn't really see the light at the end of the tunnel, but just had to believe it was there, believe people when they told me it was there. And uh, yeah, we're all capable of it. We're all capable of waking up 
it does take a lot of sacrifice. It does take a lot of bravery. It does take a lot of courage and honesty and self-awareness. But we just really can't afford to get stuck, not for ourselves, not for the people in our lives, and not for this earth, which is dying and which desperately needs our help. And the only way that we can help it is if we wake up to the fact that we are capable of helping. So love you all. Thank you for being here. Thank you for listening. Stay tuned for the next episode where I'll be reintroducing myself. Until next time. Mm-hmm.